Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program and on High FM 101.9. And my guest today is Philip Veyers, my cousin. And our topic is life is a matter of choices. There's a quote by John Maxwell that says, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. And Phil, you and I are going to discuss that shortly. But I just want to first of all say that welcome, Phil. It's wonderful having you on my program again. You were here in July last year, you know, on Skype. It somehow seems longer than that. Because good morning to you and good morning to friends around the world. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm delighted to be back. I'm so pleased to have you here. And I was very amused because I was thinking, well, how should I introduce you differently this time? And then I saw on your Twitter um, uh, handle, it says, you are a culturalist, a Zionist, a friend of Israel. You're very sentimental about the SAAF and the RAF. And then on Facebook, you say, semi-retired, working hard on beer and golf. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Philip has many accolades behind his name, and I'm not going to go into them all right now. But Philip is General Smuts' great-grandson, and he is... Uh, related to me, which we only discovered in 2017 via Anne family. Okay, Phil, do you want to fill us in a bit? Well, well in the early in the third quarter of 2017, um, a friend of many years, Tony, uh, South African, um, decorated and highly accomplished uh, army officer, Peter Bailey, um, approached me and asked if I, on the basis of being the Obas's great-grandson, would be prepared to visit Israel um, and give some talks uh, regarding the Obas, Smut that is, and the Balfour Declaration. And the notice of this went out with my name on it, on the web, and um, you then sent Peter uh, an email and sa- saying to him, well, you'd very much like to be present because the Obas's youngest son and namesake was your uncle and Peter then forwarded me your, your mail excuse me and said would you like to talk to um, to respond and I th- the first thought I, I had was well Yanni Smut my very dear great uncle Yanni uh, was my uncle too so this is now getting interestinger and interestinger as they say <laughs> in the free state so I sent you a mail and it turned out as we know that my Uncle Yanni's wife, Daphne um, Webster, before marriage, um, and my godmother was in fact your aunt. So my mom's I, sister. That's right, and um, I discovered I therefore had a long lost Uncle Toda Nichi, your good self, and what a joy it has been since then. 
And you know what a joy it has been. You're quite right, Phil. You know, when I think back to that time, it was a wonderful visit. And at the same time, you met many people, and I met many people who have remained friends, Peter, Joel, Beryl, Jeannie, and, uh, and many others. And it was a wonderful time. And it was, once again, a matter of the choices that uh, we chose, because for me, it was a, a last-minute thing. Um, Leon was with me, and uh, he said to me when, when I got this message from from my daughter Shira, who you know, in Israel to say that the uh, Balfour Declaration Centenary was coming up and you were going to be there. And she said, why don't I come? And Leon said, yes, why don't you go? So that was how it came about. And then, as you said uh, once before, we met each other on the other side of the Yixke River. You were one side and I was on the other. <laughs> Absolutely, the, bur the Burrowbos Curtain. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, one thing that I don't think I've told you before, which is quite amusing also, is how how certain circumstances affect our lives. When we were getting married many, many years ago, um, it was by magistrate in Vereniging, the chief magistrate, and he said we had to come to the magistrate's offices. And my mom quickly pulled out her relationship to Jan Smuts, and, and it so happened that he was a great uh, follower of, of the United Party. So he said, well, you know, he had come and actually marry us at, our, at my mother's house, my mom and dad's house. So I might add that Uncle Yanni was there, and um, the only people smiling at our wedding was actually the chief magistrate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we do have, we do have, shall we say, uh, um, in many respects, a somewhat eccentric family, don't we? <laughs> Very. But, um, Phil, you know, I would like to actually send a message out to all the people of Cape Town who are experience, have experienced this terrible, terrible fire and the devastation that fire brings. And, you know, your grandfather uh, gave this wonderful speech about the religion of the mountain, which I'd like Very. to read out. And it was in 1923 when he was unveiling a memorial to the members of the mountain club who had fallen in the First World War. And it's on the top of Table Mountain. Hopefully it's still there. And uh, and it's called he he called it the religion of the mountain, and it says the mountain is not merely something externally sublime. It has a great historical and spiritual meaning for us. It stands for us as the ladder of life. Nay, more, it is the great ladder of the soul, and in a curious way, the source of religion. From it came the law. From it came the gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. We may truly say that the highest religion is the religion of the mountain. What is that religion? When we reach the mountain summits, we leave behind us all the things that weigh heavily down below on our body and our spirit. We leave behind a feeling of weakness and depression and feel a new freedom, a great exhilaration, an exaltation of the body, no less than of the spirit. We feel a great joy. And at the end, he goes on, but at the end, he said, we must practice the religion of the mountain down in the valleys also. And I would like to offer that to the people of Cape Town today, um, that 
to practice that religion of the mountain in the valley that they're in at the moment of smoke. What have you uh, got something to add to that? I, I think that is so incredibly appropriate. That that particular speech of the Obas has been called by some noted academics the most spiritual speech <clears throat> they have ever read. Um, and I think it is absolutely valid at this point in time with such vast tracts of history destroyed, um, priceless and irreplaceable archives at UCT, um, the Mostert's Mold, which was built in 1795. Um, and it's, uh, it's sadly seems to be the result of arson, for sure. Um, one arrest made and two being searched for. Um, but it does seem that Cape Town has, seems to have more than their fair share of fires, don't they? they mm-hmm. There's not a train that's running late and gets burnt because it's late when it does arrive. Um, then it's the mountain. Um, and, and even further, the the outlying areas of Cape Town, which um, seem so often to be burned, the fan boss obviously burns very happily, but all these things start somehow, and it's just, uh, it's just a sad indictment, I think, that these things are so often um, deliberately set, and we, we, we as a country can do so much better than that, really. We really can. And you know, someone was saying on High FM, it was Sarah gone, she was saying that the books that were burnt and some people were apparently celebrating and she said, we all know what happens when books are celebrated, when books burn and are celebrated. Absolutely. We'll get back to that in a moment, Phil. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We're now actually going to be listening to a very short YouTube. And then um, General Smuts actually gave permission for Isaac Ochberg to bring in some Ochberg orphans. And the clip you're going to be listening to is a, a message that Philip sent for Lionel Galinsky, whose mother was an Ochberg orphan, when he was on my program. Thank you, Craig. Sue, my cousin, and Mr. Galinsky, good morning to you both. Mr. Glinsky, my name is Philip Vayers, and I am, by happenstance of birth, a great-grandson of General Jan Smuts, or the Obas, as the family knew him. And it, uh, it is a privilege to meet you, sir, albeit only on cyberspace. Nearly three years ago, I was invited by my dear friend Peter Bailey to visit Israel and deliver some talks on the Obas on the occasion of the centenary of the Balfour Declaration. It was a glorious visit, a run that I will never forget for many reasons. The people I met and by whom I was hosted are without doubt some of the finest, most graciously generous and compassionate human beings I'm privileged to know and call friends. Jan Smuts was a close friend of Dr. Chaim Weizmann, not least of all with both being confirmed Zionists. Dr. Weizmann even visited the Obas and Omar at their home at Durenkloof in Irene. Professor Richard P. Stevens described the Smuts-Weizmann relationship as, and I quote, perhaps few personal friendships have so influenced the course of political events during the 20th century as the relationship between General Jan Smuts, South Africa's celebrated Prime Minister, and Chaim Weizmann, the charismatic Zionist leader and Israel's first president. During my visit, my hosts went well out of their way to show me as much of their holy land as they were able in the time available. I visited the Knesset, the Jewish Agency, the Ammunition Factory Museum, Kibbutz Ramat Yohanan, which was named for the Obas, and was even fortunate enough to spend a night on Kibbutz Seri Eliyahu by kind invitation of Hayden Bailey. For me, a unique experience. 
On one occasion, when in the Jordan Valley, I took an altimeter reading of 690 foot below mean sea level, surely the lowest I will ever be. One morning, while waiting in Ranana for a coach to transport us on a tiyul to Ramat Yohanan, a gentleman approached me and told me that his father was one of the Ochberg orphans. For me, a most moving experience. Isaac Ochberg was doubtless an exceptional human being, and he due so very much respect and gratitude. Looking back, my visit to Israel not only favoured me by cementing friendships, it blessed me with wonderful new ones, for which I will be eternally grateful. I have none better than my Israeli friends. It also taught me much about the country the Obas referred to as the Holy Land, and I gained much understanding and appreciation of both the country and the Jewish life, both of which I value immensely. The Obas described himself as a Christian Zionist, and I identify fully with that. I wish you well, sir, and maybe one day meet in person. Good morning to you both. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Philip Bayers, General Smuts's great-grandson. And if you'd like to contact us, you can on SMS 34519, or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Now, Cousin Phil, that's what you um, said to Lionel Galinsky, and it meant a lot to him to receive that. But I particularly wanted to play it today because it's what Eleanor Roosevelt says, there are no have-tos, just choices. And I do believe that right now we are facing anti-Semitism again. And um, Martin Luther King said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. So it's particularly meaningful to have you on High FM today as a Christian Zionist and a friend of Israel and, uh, and someone who can speak honestly about it. I know you have a few uh, quite amusing, uh, you were smoking your pipe, I think, one day. What happened with, with an Israeli? Because you also obs- uh, observed quite a few of the Israeli mannerisms. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I, South Africans, I find, are fairly gregarious people. You know, they'll, they'll generally greet you if you're on a, a walk or a run around the, the suburb. They'll generally raise a hand and or maybe say good morning. And I was sitting outside Peter and Jeannie Bailey's flat on a little stone wall on the pavement, um, smoking my pipe. And what I found is when you greeted somebody, a passerby, a pedestrian, they'd look as you, at you as if you'd recently emerged from the twilight zone, um, <laughs> which I, I, I find quite amusing um, and interesting. And I think... In retrospect, thinking about it, uh, it's not that they're unfriendly, not by any stretch. I think there's a barrier that one needs sometimes to break through when you're a strange face. And if you look at Israel, if you look at the Jews, um, they have every reason to be wary of somebody who's doing something out of the ordinary. Smoking uh, a pipe on the pavement. Absolutely. You know, they, they, they have to be on full guard all the time um, and I understand that very well and once you break through the barrier um, they they are immensely oncoming and very friendly um, by contrast the South African 
um, Israelis um, are an absolutely delightful bunch who are reveling and thriving in the circumstances in Israel and haven't lost any of the gregarious uh, nature that they have as South Africans. So they, they're a delightful bunch. I mean, when you walk into a hall, um, a group of people, all you hear is, how's that? And, and that sort of thing, which, which is, as you know, uniquely ours. But they're, they're absolutely delightful. Every single one of them that I met was just extraordinary. And then you went to uh, the Knesset as well, didn't you? I, absolutely. The, it was the, it was the, um, the Balfour, um, recognition, um, in the Knesset. Um, and Lord Rothschild was present. Um, and it was a, a unique experience because I went, um, up onto the roof into the, uh, I guess one would call it a tea area. Um, outside on a, on a, uh, a level of the, of the Knesset and was engaging in my, my habit of nicotine intake. <laughs> and when the deputy speaker, Hilik Bart, um, arrived and he had just spoken, um, at, at the, uh, the presentation, the Balfour presentation. So I went up to him and introduced myself and, um, you know, said how much I enjoyed what he'd said and uh, how, grateful and, uh, I was to be not in Israel but at the Knesset and, and what a privilege to meet him and then once I'd finished with my my, my zor I went back in um, I, I guess you'd call it the House of Assembly I'm not quite sure what it would be termed um, in, in the Knesset and you had little um, earphones that you plugged in and um, what was said in Hebrew would be translated to, to English and they they weren't entirely comfortable so I took mine off, and the only one who's proficient in Hebrew with us it was Joel and Beryl Klotnik, uh, Peter obviously, Rob Hyde, um, and I heard my name mentioned when Helik Barr spoke again. So I turned around and looked at Beryl for help, and she was the only one of us who'd understood, and she said that, you know, he, um, that the deputy speaker was just saying how happy he was that I was there and thanking me for making the trouble to come to Israel and um, to celebrate the Balfour Declaration, which I thought was astonishing. I think wow. it's the first time in, since 1950 that any speaker of any house has mentioned a member of my family's name. So, Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, going back to that, actually, your uh, General Smuts, your grandfather, um, he was actually, I think, the first prime minister to actually visit Israel after Israel was declared a state. Wasn't that so? He only went to Israel once, um, and that was when he was offered the, the command um, in 1917. Um, as we know, um, he declined that and took up the position on the, on the war cabinet, on the imperial war cabinet at the time. But... I actually, interestingly enough, was reading um, a, a mail from Israel in the last few days where they say, uh, they list a number with Israel's independence being celebrated, they list a number of um, countries who were first or out of the block to recognize Israel um, and in the order in which they did it. And I actually sent them a mail because um, I they, they made no mention of the Obas or South Africa. So I hurriedly, as is my want, corrected them on that. And I think um, 
the two significant things. The, the one was that the Obas recognized Israel, if I recall correctly, four days after David Ben-Gurion declared independence and, and, the, and the state of Israel. But the other interesting thing for me is that it was the last official act that the Obas performed in 1948 as Prime Minister of South Africa. Mm. And he was absolutely determined to do so. And he was asked afterwards, why was it so very, very important to you? And he said that he was making good on a promise he's made, he'd made with his friend Chaim Weizmann. That was mm -hmm. why it was so important for him to recognize Israel, that factor recognition. And um, as I said, the last, the last um, <clears throat> official act of, um, of his being prime minister before um, Diev Malan. <clears throat> Excuse me, Diev Malan came into power with the, uh, in the 1948 elections. And I think that's quite significant for me, certainly. Absolutely. And then, you know, um, I wanted to pick up one other thing. I was reading an article that you published lately, and it was called Smuts and Weissman, My Great-Grandfather's Love of Israel and South African Jews. It's a commentary that you wrote, very good. And um, I, I see that you actually spoke about that in 1949, the Obas was to see Weissman, his friend of 32 years, for the last time. When against all advice due to his ill health, he traveled from South Africa to London in order that he attend and make a speech at a dinner celebrating Weissmann's 75th birthday. Um, and I think that's, that also is very important to actually know. Now, Phil, I know that you say that children in um, Australia or would know more about um, your grandfather than, or the Canadian teenager you once said, than, um, than we do in people do in his own country. And that is, uh, it's actually very true. I think he has got, the whole history of Jan Smuts has been muddled up with the apartheid system that came in afterwards. And uh, so, unfortunately, he he has sort of gone, been pushed to the side, and also a lot of things have been, uh, uh, labels have been put on him which have not been true. But uh, I see that, uh, uh, what his, what's his name, Dickens, said that um, a lot of new biographies are coming out, actually setting the record straight. How do you feel about that? I mean, this is your family and, you know, um, how did you, how have you always, you are, a, a, you, you're an executive officer of the General Smuts Foundation. Uh, you've actually kept it going all these years, really. So how do you feel when people actually misquote what he has said? So, um I, I retired recently from the General Smuts Foundation, but I feel very good indeed about the publications that have come out uh, recently about the Obas, and they've come a, uh, they've covered a fairly broad sphere. Not only the English-speaking press, but the Afrikaans um, okay. publishers as well, um, with noted academics and historians contributing to uh, to various books. Um, Jonathan Ball, the late Jonathan Ball, who we lost, I think, about two weeks ago, who was the first to approach Richard Stain, who is a friend of his, and Richard Stain being a highly accomplished um, newspaper editor um, and journalist, obviously, and suggested he write something about the Obas. And I was then contacted by James Clark, 
Now, James Clark is an, an absolutely wonderful human being. He used to write weekly uh, columns in the Star. I think it was called Stoop Talk, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And he said, would I be prepared to meet Richard Stang and uh, David Williams because they are thinking about doing a book on the OBAS and um, uh, we, they have a lunch in mind and they're buying. So we thought of a rump steak and a few beers to the answer. <laughs> and we met. And I, in my opinion at the time, uh, which is pretty much what Richard did, um, I don't think really because of my opinion, but um, I said, I said that there are a lot of theoretical books, um, um, re reference books, the Hancocks, um, and various others that detail in great history um, on, uh, what what Delbos did, for example, at Versailles or his or his life as a whole. What people would want, I think, would be more interested in, would be a book that is easily readable. You can lie on your pillow in your bed and you can read it and you, your mind's not going to get befuddled and you're not going to have insomnia because of all the facts you've taken in. Make yeah. it a narrative, a history, a story. And that's basically what happened. During the course of the writing, Richard would send me um, advanced copies of, of chapters that he completed and asked for comments and, uh, and I was delighted to do that. And then, of course, that was called um, Unafraid of Greatness, the first one. Mm. And then he wrote a book um, about the, uh, which he called the friendship between Winston Churchill and and the Obas, Excellent. Um, which is also an extraordinarily good publication. He does tremendous research, and he's got a, <clears throat> a very nice writing style. It's an easy uh -huh. flowing writing style, and that's that's one thing that I think um, was in need of highlighting was the relationship between Churchill and the Obas, that they were in, in, in fact, as in the case of Watson, for example, flows personal friend. Um, and the teacher, Churchill sought the Obas's advice on, on numerous matters. Um, one that just comes to mind right now was the partition of India into India and Pakistan. And Churchill wasn't particularly keen on Indians, much less um, Mahandras Gandhi. He didn't like Gandhi at all. And the Obas and Gandhi, of course, had a history dating back to the 20s. And the Obas um, was in regular contact with Gandhi. They, they had held no grudge against each other at all. Uh, they actually spoke quite highly of each other, you know, yes, in, they, they in did. certain statements. Um, I mean, Gandhi gave the Obas his sandals when he left. That's right. And, and Obas, when, when um, I think it was when, and he had made them at Tolstoy Farm. Uh, Gandhi had made those sandals at the Tolstoy Farm and he, he gave them to the Obas and when Gandhi actually left to go back to India, the Obas gave them back, having worn them every single summer, apparently, at, in, at his, uh, at the old house in, in Irene. And they both, uh, actually said very complimentary things about each other. Uh, your, your grandfather actually said, you know, that, uh, I, I'm walking in, in the shoes of, of greatness. And, um, and, um, Gandhi had said also that how your grandfather actually, if you strip everything else away, the greatness that was there. Absolutely right. Um, and Churchill for once listened to the Obas, and the Obas said to Churchill effectively, no Gandhi, no partition. This will never happen. And mm -hmm. Churchill took that to heart, and uh, Gandhi was duly involved in the discussions. And as we know, um, 
the partition took place and um, reasonably, with one notable exception, reasonably happy coexistence, um, with the exception obviously of, of Kashmir, where mm-hmm. there are uh, ongoing and seemingly never-ending disputes. But I think the, the Rita Spain books um, served a number of purposes. Uh, one was just, just for South Africans to realize, take politics out of it, take race out of it, what the Obas did. Um, people, the, the right-wing element of, of, our, of our Africana colleagues or friend, uh, countrymen uh, still have not forgiven, today still, three generations down, not forgiven the Obas for making pals with the British after the, the mm-hmm. Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course what they failed to realize, or haven't read enough, and it's interesting as well that the people who tend to talk the most are the ones who've read the least. Absolutely. We're going to get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Philip Bayers. And Philip and I are, are, have, share the same aunts and uncle, um, Uncle Yanni Smuts and Aunt Daphne Smuts. And so we are, we call each other cousin. Um, Phil, you know, you, you clarify so much of, of your grandfather's relationship with people. Uh, I did actually find that quote about Gandhi. What Gandhi did say that, um, said of, 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 of Jan Smuts, he had a high place among the politicians of the British Empire and even of the world. And when he left, he gave him his sandals and which he made it, uh, and when, when Gandhi, it was when Gandhi's 70th birthday, uh, General Smuts said he sent the, the sandals back to him and he said to him, I've worn these sandals for many a summer, even though I may feel that I'm not worthy to stand in the shoes of so great a man. It was my fate to be the antagonist of a man for whom even then I had the highest respect. That's what your grandfather said about Gandhi and Gandhi about him. So history does blur things. Um, now, Phil, just getting off the subject of, um, of that for a moment, I want to go on to you because you are, are planning on, on immigrating and I know that your daughter and your grandson and your son-in-law have left and they're living in Brisbane. And Corona must have been incredibly hard for you not to see your grandson. I know you adore him. How old is he now? Well, see, in fact, there's, a, there's a, another chapter to that story. My, my grandson um, is now six years old. He turned 16 months ago. But he has a little sister who's six days old. Oh, wow. Mazel tov. <laughs> and she, she's absolutely gorgeous and I'm totally smitten already. But, yeah, that's that, that's my prime motivation. I, I want someone to be part of their lives and I want them to be part of mine. I want to see them. I want to see them grow up. Um, there are certain South Africanisms that I want to make sure that they are taught. Um, you know, things like Footsack and, and, and Luxem and so on. That's, that's integral <laughs> to our, our being South African. And I'm not sure if it'll happen without, without me being there. So I need to get you certain of that. <laughs> that. That's the prime reason, um, of, for go, for, for, 
planning to go to Australia. Yeah, and COVID has wrecked a lot of plans. There's no question about that. We should have been there two months ago. Um, we should have been there before my little, uh, my little lassie, love my little granddaughter. What before. is her name? Her name is Molly. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's lovely, Phil. I hope you manage to get there soon. But how do you feel about leaving South Africa? Very mixed feelings. Um, I've often asked myself what my reaction would be, what would I be doing if I did not have family um, in in Australia. Um, their motivation for going was, Paul, my son-in-law uh, flew for SA Express. And he saw the writing on the wall some some years ago. Really. And when he was headhunted by Qantas, he went across and my daughter and then my, my little grandson followed 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 him. Um, and as we now know, uh, people are saying that the African government would be silly not to take the one rand they require for SA Express for what remains of the assets. So Paul was, um, circumstances uh, were very much in his favour for going over. And then, not not that long before Paul left, it also had obviously something to do with it. We had the, people call it a home invasion. A home invasion for me is when you, you go away to the south coast for a few weeks and you come back and there are people in your house. Um, I call it a residential armed robbery where you, in our case, lie on your stomach on the ground for two and three quarter hours with knives and guns um, at play. Mm. And... They clean out your house and take two of your cars while you're lying prone. They remove your, they, they took the girls away. My daughter and my wife were, were removed from us. So you don't know what's going on with them, which is obviously part of the intimidation factor. Terrifying. Um, I, I was lucky enough then to have um, friends who, uh, one of whom was the, uh, the security chief for De Beers Diamond, and his intelligence sources obviously are probably as good. As, as anybody else's in the country due to the nature of smoking or, or flying diamonds in and out of the country. But <clears throat> he said to me, and he asked some questions, and he said his advice to me is pay on insurance and get on with life. You'll never get your stuff back because the leader of the gang, there were five of them, uh, one South African and four Mozambicans, the leader of the gang was a policeman. So mm. you, you are never going to have any success at all in terms of uh, trying to solve the crime or to catch the uh, the perps, as they call them. Um, and so it, it was proven to be true. That certainly had an effect on Paul. Paul was uh, part of the um, of the robbery. He was there. Uh, my son, Paul is your Evans, son-in-law. Paul is my son-in-law. Um, Jason, my son, thank heavens, was flying in Mozambique at the time, so he, uh, he avoided that mercifully. Um, and I think at the end, um, there are so many facets to this. As I said, the primary reason is, is that my family is there and I so much want to be part of their lives um, rather than a Skype or a Facebook or um, uh, on-screen grandfather. But I have dreadful concerns about our country. Um, the security issues, the safety issues, um, I'll give an example. I went into Pretoria City Centre yesterday, and once I'd sort of discovered which street was which from all the name changes, um, I found my way okay. But um, the city has changed, but I carried a pepper, pepper spray with me because mm-hmm. I had a bag slung over my shoulder. 
Mm. And rather than stand the chance of being mugged, um, and I'm not sure if I'm just being um, a, a little mm. psychotic about it, but um, I carried in my right hand a pepper spray so that if anybody did try to um, relieve me of my possessions, um, I would be able to resist. Uh, within mind, I think I've actually re- been relieved of enough of my possessions so far in the last decade or so, which is, amounts to uh, the total losses probably extends to about seven or eight million rand. Mm-hmm. So that has been misappropriated. Gosh, that's terrible. Just feel we'll get back to that. We're just going to add. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with uh, Philip Bayers. And we're going to be told shortly, I think, to wrap up, although we did start a bit late. Um, you know, Phil, I know that you are feeling that that incident made you feel very disillusioned. I must admit, having been held up myself and knowing that that's one of the reasons why uh, one of our children immigrated and left. Um, it, it does leave you feeling very disillusioned and distrustful. And you have given a lot to South Africa, actually. You know, when I look through what you've actually done for the Air Force Association and the foreign diplomatic missions, uh, you know, you've done a tremendous amount. Um, and I think that leaving will, will definitely be hard for you, very hard. I, I was thinking as you were talking about how I would feel uh, leaving. And, um, and the, the, you know, this is your roots. Your roots are here. But sometimes those choices do have to come in and we do have to decide, you know, whether we're going to be staying or not. The other thing I actually want to do, just say to you, is that did you watch the, the uh, Prince Philip's funeral? I did indeed. Um, and did, did it remind you a bit of, of your grandfather? I mean, you weren't there, obviously, at your grandfather's, but I'm sure you've seen it on YouTube. Um, that his, your grand, General Smuts's funeral, it was also a state funeral and was the biggest funeral ever seen in South Africa apart from Nelson Mandela's. It's, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing to be proud of for all the wrong reasons, if I could say, put it that way. Um, it is also a fact that the my, the British nobody can put on a show like that than the British. It is just absolutely remarkable, and the, the, it just boggles the mind. Um, and of course, the Obos was a was a great friend of the royal family. Um, mm. The Queen Mother and the Obos had a, a particularly good relationship. Um, the Obos was apparently also very supportive of King George VI with his speech impediment, with his stutter. And Admiral Sir Tim Lawrence, who is married to um, Princess Anne, said to me when we met some years ago that he and the Queen Mother were very close. They got on extremely well. And that she spoke about the Obas frequently. So it was a particular joy for him to come to Smart's house and uh, see what, put, some, put some meat onto what the Queen Mother um, used to talk about. And what was wonderful, I am being told, wrap up, but what was wonderful, I think, in one of the YouTubes was that your Omar uh, Smuts, she, she decided she was not going to have any of this uh, fancy 
like cucumber sandwiches, I suppose we could say. <laughs> and uh, she she was told to sort of get the uh, everything ready for their visit, and she just said they're coming for tea. And and that was it, you know. They were just invited for tea, and they would sit on the stoop, and it was a casual thing. And when they were sitting down for a, a big photograph, she just pro- uh, promptly sat down on her chair, and I think the Queen Mother sat next to her. I love that image of this is who I am, take me or leave me. And uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. And they all took her. They all took her. They loved her as she was. Well, she was also a particularly special woman, Phil, um, and a very brilliant one as well. She was no fool. The, uh, she and the Obas had a game that they'd play, um, and the, the, the game was that they'd start, one would start a Bible verse, um, Old Testament, and the other would be expected to complete it, but in Greek. Good heavens. So she was fluent in English, Afrikaans, um, well, Afrikaans only came around in the 30s, but English, Afrikaans, Dutch, German, French, and, and it could speak Greek. That's absolutely amazing. Gosh, we won't try and, and see, uh, you know, we won't actually test each other with the Old Testament <laughs> verses today. How would you like to end, Phil? What would you like to say? Yeah, I'd like to say, first of all, that um, I will miss South Africa dreadfully. I really will. Um, the people more than anything um, but the way of life um, and it's home I can put it no better than that I'd also like to say that um, and, and just mention by name yourself um, Peter and Jeannie Bailey, Joel and Beryl Klotnick and Rob and Jill Hyde who are such gracious, kind and generous friends, and I say friends deliberately um, they are wonderful people um, which goes about all my Jewish friends, and I've got, I'm, I'm blessed to have this, uh, probably rather more than most, um, and I'm so grateful for them. I, it is truly, they've truly enriched my life, every single one of them, and I'm extraordinarily grateful for that. And Phil, on that note, you have enriched so many lives um, of all cultures, actually, not just uh, Jewish uh, friends, non-Jewish friends, different colours. You have influenced a lot of people as well. I will be definitely, obviously, in contact with you, Kaz. Uh, we won't lose that, but I'm going to miss you in South Africa. We will definitely contact each other in Brisbane. But um, we've, I've actually got Vera Lynn singing a song from the war years, um, Wish Me Luck as you, uh, as you Wave Me Goodbye. So you're going you. to before, before you do that, I, there's one party that I forgot entirely, three in fact, and that is Shira, Jordan, and Elishiva. Happy, <laughs> happy to them too. Thank you, Kaz. They'll be thrilled to hear that. I'm sure Shira's probably listening in. Thank you very much for being with me. I will speak to you soon.